Okay, we're in Genesis chapter 19. Uh, this is really, it's, it's become a little three-part uh, series on judgment. And so as we're, you know, we often like to, and, and it's so true. In fact, uh, Sophie even said this. God works for, he, he works for our good. He's gracious God, a merciful God. All those things are very true. But listen, let's not forget, he also is a just God. And judgment is a part of what must be a part of when, when we know God. And so this whole series, three of them on judgment, we're going to look at the day of judgment this morning, Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's a tough subject, but I think it's a very important subject. Otherwise, we're not going to be talking fully about God, so we need to include this in there. But not hesitantly, but courageously, that God is a God who loves us, died for us, and so he's a just, our first study, he's a just God. Because he's a just God, he must judge sin, but he would pardon from sin. He would have us understand that he took the penalty of judgment upon his son so that we might, as it would be, have the Passover lamb, our Passover, Jesus bore all that for us, but we must receive him in order to receive God's forgiveness. And the receptive door is, is repentance. So we turn from our old lives, we turn to Jesus Christ, and we find these amazing things. And let me ask you a question. I know the answer already. The longer you know the Lord, the more amazing he becomes. It's incredible. And the word of God, we put our stock in the word of God. So I, I'm going to be putting a lot of scripture. I'm going to ask you to be in the main passage, have your Bibles open, and you're going through that with me, but then other passages I'll be putting on the board, on the screen, and here's why. When we read the word of God, God is speaking to us. Not me, God. So you just read it. You just listen to it. God's voice, God's word is his actual truth from him directly by the Holy Spirit to us. That is amazing. And then the longer that you walk with the Lord, hopefully you're staying in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we take in our spiritual food, we grow. Without a healthy spiritual diet, we become weak and frail spiritually. So I want to continue to encourage you, exhort you in the word of God. It, it just gets better and better and better all the time. Amen? Now, let me add this as it comes to mind. Paul in Romans 7 said, O wretched man that I am. The longer we also walk with the Lord, the more we realize just how much he accomplished for us. That we need him more today than we ever have. More than we did ever in our life. We begin to see ourselves as God sees us, but not in wrath, how he sees us in his mercy and his grace in Christ Jesus. So would you stand with me? Let's, let's read Genesis 19. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the chunk, and then we'll go back through it, and we'll, we'll be getting, finishing the chapter through 38, although I'm going to read through just verse uh, 29. So Bible's open. Let's do it. Genesis 19, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. 
When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and is a little one. Please, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore the name of this city was called Zoar, which means a little one. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord, the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw. And behold, the smoke of the land which went up like, a, like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Lord, we thank you again for your word and pray now. Just hear our hearts cry after you, God. Bless this word. Bless what I prepared. Break it fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. We trust, Lord, that you want to speak to each and every one of us individually, uniquely, and purposely. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I pray, Lord, we walk out of here having had some kind of an encounter with you in our hearts and our minds and our thinking, and Lord, that you would change us from glory to glory, even as so by your Spirit. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the first one, we looked at God being a just judge. Of God, he must judge sin, but he would spare from judgment. Then we looked at judgment is no joke, and we just read that. His sons-in-law said he seems to be joking. Judgment is no joke. So the questions we asked in the second one is, where are you sitting? Who are you surrounded by? And what are you standing for? This morning, we're going to look at the day of judgment. And there's three things that we're going to kind of banner this study with. Number one, it's a day of escape for a few people, the day of judgment. Secondly, it's a very sad day for many people. And third, it's a real day for real people. So Escape from judgment, the day of escape for a few people. Genesis 15, 19, 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. A very few escape, but let me say this, all of those few escaped only by mercy. Can you hear an amen? It's only by mercy. Verse 16, and while he lingered, so obviously Lot was thinking, I'm not sure I want to go. He lingered. The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of the two daughters, 
the Lord being merciful to him, Lot, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Judgment's coming. Do not look behind you. So it really is a double warning. Escape, but don't look behind you and don't stop. And nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Listen, even the warning is the mercy of God. We only escape, all of us, by the mercy of God. We all deserve judgment because of our sin. Now, obviously, Lot has something in his heart that's troubling him. He lingered. He was reluctant partly because part of his family thinks it's a joke. Now, I think each one of these areas are something that we all deal with to some degree or another. Some of our loved ones think it's a joke. Then you have part of his family that they don't know what to do. They're caught between two things. They're not sure. And then we have Lot's wife, who I believe, wanted to stay. She loved Sodom. So he says, escape for your life. Get out now. Keep going. And the fact that they not only warned, but then they took them by their hands is, a, is merciful. It's merc- merciful. Every escape from judgment is by the mercy of God. We all deserve death. Titus puts it this way. For we ourselves once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to what? His mercy, he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I say, amen. <laughs> Keep speaking, Lord. It's by his mercy. What is mercy? It's not getting what we deserve. He also brings in grace, which Paul starts all of his letters out. Mercy and grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace. It's not only not getting what we deserve, but it's getting what we don't deserve. Can I hear another amen? By his grace. Now, 1 Peter puts it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, first of all, if he's going to rise from dead, he first must die. So he rose from the death, God having received him as the substitute sacrifice, received the payment penalty for our sin, he rose again from the dead, demonstrating that indeed our sins have been taken care of on the cross. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, go ahead, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to reveal the last time. Now here it is, verse 10. Who are once were not a people of God, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Amen. We are saved by the mercy of God. Judgment passed over by the mercy of God. He took our hands, he took us in, in his heart, and he led us out of judgment. Wow. Verse 18. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown by me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now this city. So he's looking at this little city, Zoar. It's near enough to flee to, 
and it's a little one. Please, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? In other words, it's an insignificant city is basically what he's saying. It's this little place. Let me go there, and my soul shall live. So he has this fear of what's going to happen if he's in the mountains. I think that's a normal fear that anyone would have. Where can I go? And he's used to city life. He's used to the protection of walls. Now, the interesting thing to me in thinking about this is God can save us from the judgment of Sodom, from that kind of judgment. Can he save us in the mountains? Absolutely. But that's a part of the process of learning. Indeed, we are safe in the hands of God. Safe. Verse 21. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. And so I wonder in my mind also, I wonder if he had any thought of kind of going to Uncle Abraham's city wherever he was. But it seems it needed to be close by because judgment is coming. Verse 23. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, so it's the next day. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, notice, from the Lord out of the heavens twice. Who's doing this? The Lord. It's the judgment of God on a wicked city and the plains thereof. It says, the Lord rain, brimstone, and fire. The Lord out of, heaven, out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities. He got all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. It's a day of escape for a few people through mercy. It's a sad day for many people. It's also a real day for real people. So the final dark night of Sodom and Gomorrah in one day, In one moment, the whole valley with its cities and inhabitants was completely destroyed. The day of judgment had come. Now on Tuesday morning, 9-11-2001, without warning, a great darkness fell on the New York City Twin Towers when they collapsed. We were caught completely off guard. 3,000 people died, 6,000 were injured, and many more aftermath. $10 billion in damage. Except for the scarce few evil terrorists who planned the thing. The whole of our nation, from the president to the unknown resident, from the richest to the poorest, went to bed on 9-10 with no idea what was going to happen when they woke up. So Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 21. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. Peter puts it this way. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell, and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. 
Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, I want you to note something here. But the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of what? Temptations. So what's happening? Peter is exhorting the righteous. He's exhorting the godly. Lot as the example, how we are to live leading up to judgment. How we're to live now. And what are we facing now? Temptations. That's what's happening. So the Lord knows how to deliver those that got the out of temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you such as is common to man, but God is faithful. In other words, we have God to look to. We need God to help us all along the way who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make, here it is, the way of escape that you may be able to bear. There is always a way out so long as God is in my heart. Now, this whole idea that we are to be living in such a way, leading up to, and there are going to be two judges, we'll talk about that in a moment, leading up to how we live, we must be, understanding we're in a battle and it's a temptations that the Satan throws at, the world throws at, our flesh throws at us, that we are to be seeking as with righteous Lot, whose spirit vexed me, couldn't stand what he was seeing. I hope that's true for you and for me. That as we're walking through this ungodly, unrighteous world, fallen, that we're up in this battle and that we with God can overcome. So James puts it this way. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So we have to endure them. For when he has been approved, he will receive, here it is, the crown of life. So how am I to live today? I'm to endure temptation because there's a coming crowning. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. i got to stay in love with Jesus. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, what? When he's drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed. And that's what we're battling. We have these desires. They entice us. And then when desire has conceived, so the enticement and the desire sort of birth sin. I like it. I do it. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, we talked about this in the, pre, in, in the first of these three, the judgment seat of Christ. I think it's important this morning just to revisit this again. Every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation, but for God then to say, here's how you lived your life, and here's the rewards. Here's how you endured temptation. Here's how you battled the flesh. Here's how you came against the, here's how you preached the gospel. Here's how you began sowing the things that I put in your life that brought fruit, not only in your life, but in other people's lives. It's a really important understanding. It's not for salvation. It's God taking our lives and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope to hear that. That we are, I stayed at being good and faithful or a faithful goodness. So really, to me, it's simple. It's living in such a way that I'm trying to do good wherever I go. It's a faithful goodness. So in every situation, in every relationship, I'm trying to sow goodness. Jesus went about doing good, is what the Bible captures his life in. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that of our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Jeff, I just flashed on your dad. Now your dad is, as you were just out in Colorado, your dad's on his deathbed now. And we know this scripture tells us if, our earth, if this tent is dissolved, we have a building from God as believers, eternal in the heavens. What a glorious truth. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. There it is. It's very simple. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear for the day, will declare it, the day of the judgment seat of Christ, because it will be revealed by fire. Now notice, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Now notice, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. In other words, it's possibly saved and have nothing to show for it. When life is done, there's nothing that your life has has been given to as far as the glory of God and the gospel of God. And I say, Lord, you got to help me. you got to help me. I don't want to stand before you and realize I wasted my life. I had my ladder up against a completely wrong wall. I climbed up and never got to see over it. But if I could have seen over it, I realized it's empty. So what are we doing with our lives? How are we giving ourselves to the things that matter? How are we sowing our seeds now, Paul told in 2 Timothy, his swan letter, his final letter, he said, I have fought the good fight. Brothers and sisters, let me say to you, let's keep fighting the good fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Find there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Again, now matters for then, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Can I hear an amen? I hope an, a hearty amen. Lord, help me to fight the fight. Help me to finish the race. Help me to get to that grand finale, finally, finally, that we're looking forward. And the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to the end of this life. Because it is difficult. It is hard. And there are things that my heart longs for in this life, to see my children and my, my grandsons and grow up, my granddaughter growing up. And so as long as I'm here, as long as we're here, let's keep fighting because we've got a lot to fight for. Let's keep finishing, the, let, let's get to the end line. And you know in running, I hate to run. I like to walk, I hate to run. I went out for track one time in high school. They said, you should go out for track. I mean, I'm like at that time I was five foot one. I said, I mean, my legs are shorter than most, you know, and I went out running, I think I lasted a week, because it's so boring to me, just run. But hey, when you got something to run for, changes completely. We're running for an imperishable crown. We're running to stand before God, not some earthly wreath. We're going to be standing for Jesus Christ. It's so worth every effort, every energy. You know another thing I can't stand doing? Exercise. And particularly stretching. Charlotte's been telling me, my wife's been telling me for 
at least a year. You got to stretch. You're getting old. You got to stretch. You got to stretch. Now my sciatic nerve is giving me problems, as well as my appendectomy that was that was last week. And you know, you're sitting down the floor, and you know it's so boring. Even 30 seconds seems like you know 30 minutes. Stretch, stretch. <laughs> May I say to you, physically, I think it is important because it makes it a lot easier. But spiritually, there's no, there's no option. We got to be stretching. We got to be exercising. Ask yourself, Paul said, unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profit for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. There's much more to it, spiritually speaking. We've got to give ourselves to fighting. We've got to give ourselves to finishing. We've got to realize there's a finale coming. And praise the Lord. We're going to stand before him and thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he here is working in us to will and to do what pleases him. Thank God that by the Holy Spirit, the, whole, the fire of the Holy Spirit begins to burn up some of these things that are just straw and work in our lives so that we get it, that we get it, that we get it. And the longer we walk with the Lord, I trust and pray, the deeper goes that whole idea, I get it, I get it. It's not the things that matter. It's God. It's God. So his wife, now this is an interesting part of Scripture. Verse 26, his wife looked behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. What's going on here? Archaeology has confirmed these kinds of cataclysmic events. A thing on Forbes.com said this. New research finds that a powerful airburst from a meteor colliding with the atmosphere may have wiped out a Bronze Age civilization along the north side of the Dead Sea some 3,700 years ago. While the finding, findings come from the excavation of the Tal el-Haman archaeological site in Jordan, many believe that the same place was once known as Sodom. Yes, as in Sodom and Gomorrah from the Bible, Torah, and Koran, the cities of sin supposedly, not supposedly they were, but I'll just, that's my commentary, destroyed with brimstone and fire sent from God. Samples from the site show that an extremely hot explosive event leveled an area of almost 200 square miles. It's huge. Including the Middle Gore, a circular plain to the north of the Dead Sea, not only wiping out 100% of the Middle Bronze Age cities and towns, but also stripping agricultural soils from once fertile fields. The researchers theorized that the intense shock waves from the blast may have also covered the area with a superheated brine of Dead Sea and hydride salt. So salt water came. So I found that interesting. Who knows how God does it, but it's all him that's doing it. He's in control of his universe. So Lot's wife, now if you go on tours over there, there are a lot of different places to show this is, this is the monument right here. This is where it was. Now it's interesting to me also that, there, that uh, this, a legitimate first century Roman Jewish historian named Josephus claimed to have seen the, the, the pillar of salt. So if you want to go on a tour, you can probably find one. But what matters here is not that. What matters is that Lot's wife, it tells us, looked back behind him. She was longing for Sodom. That's what's going on. She has no desire to leave Sodom. She loves Sodom. She, in her heart, I wonder if in her heart, she had not been with her husband for years. 
Because all the things that the world had there for her stole her heart, not only from her husband, but from God. And that's what the world will do. Mrs. Lot did not believe God, and in not believing, she did not obey him. His wife stopped in the plane. Now, it must have been more than a momentary thing because the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and the plane did not happen until they reached Zoar the next day. So evidently, Mrs. Lot disregarded the warnings in her longing for Sodom. She lingered far behind, no angels to grab her hand again. They left. And as the judgment falls on Sodom, however far out she got, she turned back. And the explosions that went out enveloped her as well. And thus a very sad day, no doubt, for Lot, for his daughters. The commentator Kent Hughes said, quote, reality was probably more like this. As she tarried, she succumbed to the sulfurous gases, and then as her corpse lay exposed, it was encrusted in salt and debris so that she became a pillar of salt. The hand that drew her out is the hand that she let go of and went back. The pillar of salt is a monument to her worldly longings and disobedience to God. Take heed. Her worldly longings and her disobedience to God. And they go hand in hand. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 17. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Look at remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, who has your life? Is it God or is it the world? Remember Lot's wife. Now, the context of this whole passage is Jesus, first of all, is warning the Pharisees that unless their hearts repented before God and received Christ as Messiah, they would never see the kingdom of God. What they would see is themselves taken away suddenly in the day of judgment. The critical component is, what are you doing with Jesus? But to the disciples, his warning is, take heed, lest your hearts be stolen away by the Lord, by the world. Take heed, watch out, remember Lot's wife. First John puts it this way. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the big capitals are mine. The lust of the flesh, which are your passions. The lust of the eyes, which are your possessions. The lust of the pride of life, which are your positions. Now, these things are not wrong in and of themselves. They're God-given. But the question is, who has them? Who's controlling them? Who's, on the, who's at the helm of these things, of my passions, my possessions, my position? If not, of the, is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's the worldly system. 
and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. They're all cravings, contrary to the word of God, the will of God, and the purpose of God. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, on, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Exodus. We're talking about Moses. Hebrews 11. We just hit this. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than treasure. Why? Because he looked to the reward. In other words, Moses looked at the best the world had to offer. And then he looked at the worst that God had to offer. And Moses chose the worst that God had to offer over the best that the world had to offer. And listen, that's always the right choice because the world is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So Moses made that choice. He said, the world is fleeting. The world is deceiving, but not God. And he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of God. Of sin. And let me ask you a question. Sin is pleasurable, but is it not also passing? And it deteriorates us spiritually. I believe that the Lord yanked me out of last weekend when I wound up at Valley Medical in the emergency room to have an appendectomy. I've never had such pain in my life. But I believe as I reflect on the weekend, I couldn't come to our summit, I couldn't come Sunday morning. I believe the Lord yanked me out just so I could hear Pastor Paul's message on don't worry. And I hope you'll listen to it because it was fantastic. Don't worry. In other words, the idea that you're all, you, you'll never have enough. There's always going to be the things of this world that, that can come in. And Jesus said in the parable of the sower, the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches, what? It chokes out the word so there's no fruit. That's what happens. That's what goes on in the world. To you parents... To me as a parent, the world backed by the full power of Satan is working to steal the hearts of your children away from you and away from God. That's what's happening. So I want to encourage you parents as I encourage myself. I want to encourage you grandparents as I encourage myself. We need to be equipped to be able to give a reason and to speak to our children so they understand these things of the God that we serve. And thus on Wednesday night, I'm going to make a a plug for the grass, grassroots apologetics that goes on Wednesday night here, just trying to help us keep our kids on God's side, to speak to them from the word and understand the things of God, be able to communicate them to our children. Because listen, as I was praying for Lee and Stephanie, that's a responsibility. We take dead, well, alive seriously. <laughs> I was going to say dead serious, but alive serious. How's that one? Okay. Again, it's a sad day for many people, the day of judgment. Let's go on, verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the hand of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. Now, we have no idea what's going on in the mind of Abraham. But I'll tell you what, he was a very sad, godly man that morning. As he looks out, he had been interceding for, for Lot and for his family in, in, there in Sodom interceding, interceding. Then the angels go. He got down to 10. They go. And now he wakes up and there it is, the smoke rising. A sad, sad day in the heart of any godly person. 
The judgment has come. And it reminds me of Jesus' great sadness himself at his, the end of his first coming. In Matthew chapter 23, Oh, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are center. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus' heart was breaking for the Jews. I've come as your Messiah. I've come in declaring from Psalm 110, I am the Messiah. He rides in, but they rejected him. And so he's very sad. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. That's his second coming. This is the end of his first coming. In Luke chapter 23, more powerful than even that, a great multitude of the people followed him. He's going to the cross, our Savior. He's going to the cross. And women also mourned and lamented. They're sad for him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem. Now you have to understand, I'm sure you do. He has been What's the word I want? He's going to be crucified, but he's been, flo- I mean, he, in fact, the Bible says you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. So mercilessly was he pummeled, crucified. As he's going up, in fact, in this context, they got the Simeon guy to carry the cross for him. As he's going up and he sees these women and they're weeping for him. They're they're sad for him. And he turns to them and he says, don't weep for me. Notice he's doing what he's doing, not for himself. He wants no attention in that sense. He's doing this for them. And let me say to you, as we look at it, the fascinating thing to me is that when you look at the Bible and read about Jesus' crucifixion, there's very little detail. Just says, and they crucified him. And they crucified him. Because the details are in what he did for us. Not for himself. For us. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts who never... Let me say one of the most intimate and Exciting things is when there's a child born. It's incredible. It changed my life when my first son was born. I said, I'm an idiot. I didn't know if I wanted to have children. Let me say to you, children are a heritage from the Lord. You got to have at least seven or eight. Then they will begin to say, mountains fall on us and the hills cover us. This is all the judgment of God, the day of judgment coming. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry when things get worse and worse and worse and worse? Verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent out the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Listen. This was an answer to the intercessory prayer of Abraham for Lot. We need to be praying, interceding. And not only for his, the intercessor, but then Lot interceded to go to this city. And because of Lot's intercession, got Lot's request and was granted him, the city of Zoar experienced the mercy of God. He spared that little city because of one righteous man. His name was Lot. 
And so he answered Abraham's intercession, will you judge the righteous with the wicked or as the wicked? He doesn't. Thank God. He has not appointed us to wrath. We will not be judged because we've received Christ. So we're not going to be judged in that sense unto death. We're going to be judged on the judgment seat of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for what Jesus has done for us. And then I'll close as we look at these final verses. It's a real day for real people. But then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, his daughters with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he, had, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So possibly afraid again of what's going to happen if he might go to the city. And it's interesting to me, in one day, he go from a progressive civilization to a cave. Now, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do these revelation passages, but in the judgment day of Christ, when God, in the day of wrath, they're going to be hiding in the caves, saying, the wrath of God has come. That's truth. Revelation, you can read it, chapter 6, verse 31. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. There is no man on the earth to come to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him. Notice that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger. So the firstborn is the instigator here, the, the idea person. Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him again, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So her whole drive, listen, her whole drive is survival. The survival of her family. The survival of her father's family. It's outwit, outplay, and outlast. Okay, can I hear an amen? The survivor. Notice verse 36. Thus both the daughter of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So Moab, the name means from father, or it means the water of a father. Ben-Ami means son of my people, from which the Ammonites came and the Moabites. Now listen, some closing. Both were benefactors of God's mercy. Both were benefactors of God's mercy. Both were survivors of God's judgment. But here's the interesting thing as you look at this. But so too were both perpetual enemies of Israel. Both the Moabites and the Ammonites. Someone said the rebirth of Sodom in a cave because of the Moabites and the Ammonites and what would come transpire after. And though relatives of Israel, they were excluded from Israel's worship. So they're not allowed. But then on the other hand, during the Babylonian exile, both the Moabites and the Ammonites gave safe refuge for the Jews. So you have this sort of mixed thing going on here. Now we also have God's wonderful exception, if you will, in Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. 
She's in the lineage of our Savior. So in a word, if I can capture this little area of Scripture, in a word, it's complicated. <laughs> it's messy. And what I say in, in my few closing thoughts here is, all we can do is look to God to sort it out. That's all we can do. We might come up with all of our judgment, but we got to look to the Lord. Lord, you sort out because it is messy. It is complicated. But beneath it, there's this drive for survival, for preservation. You see, these were real places, <laughs> real cities, real houses on real streets in real communities. They existed on the earth and were destroyed in one day. These were real people with real names who had real children and real grandchildren who really lived on the earth. But then in one day, they were destroyed in the judgment. There was a father, and there was a mother. There was a husband, and there was a wife. There were sons, and there were daughters. There were grandchildren. Real people, most of whom were oblivious to what was coming. They were in real danger. For every one of them, like you and me, the mercy of God was available. For every one of them, in their own way, now listen, in their own way, be it sinfully or righteously, they were trying to survive, trying to do the best they can of the situations they were in, doing their best or their worst to just make it through the day. And I think that's more and more the case in the, in the world in which we live today. Now, I do not say this from a heart of sinful unbelief. In other words, God is just, and God will judge, and he will be right in what he judges. It will be all right. It will be just. It will be fair always. I do not say this believing in the false teaching of universalism, that eventually everyone is saved. Listen, Daniel put it this way. There will be two resurrections, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus said this, some to the resurrection of life, and some to the resurrection of condemnation. Not everyone will be saved. There are two resurrections that are coming. I say this because I believe in God. And because I believe in God, I believe I know the truth, and I know the way. And I know the life. And as I look at this world, the truth is one of the strongest, in fact, it's the first law of nature, is the law of self-preservation. I had a little epiphany just a couple weeks ago. Just a little personal, not any, you know, it wasn't like lights were flashing. I just, a thought crossed my mind because as I look out at the world, I look out at what's going on. And it stirs in me this, this 
I'm bothered by the wrongness of everything. And how people treat each other and the arrogance and the pride and the hate. But as I was thinking on that, this is what happens when you get older. <laughs> I'm thinking on that and all of a sudden, because I've been with, walking with the Lord for a long time, all of a sudden I began reflecting on my own heart's arrogance. My own heart's anger and pride and hate. And then I was disturbed that my own heart can be so totally contrary to the heart of Jesus. I had this thought. In whatever manner someone is acting outwardly, inwardly, they're just trying to survive. They're trying to get through the day. They're trying to make sense of their life. They're trying to make sense of what's going on. Be it sinful or righteously, they're trying to understand what do we do? How do I, what do I do? What do I go? And, and that, that drive to survive. And it broke my heart, honestly, when I realized the conflicts and confusion that are in the world in which we live, the lies of Satan the conflict and lawlessness. It's no wonder it's so confusing. It's no wonder it's so difficult to sort it all out. It's no wonder because sin all dressed up and looking good is still sin and it's bad. It's no wonder because Satan is still alive and well on planet earth and he's pure evil. This is what people are up against. This is what we're up against. And so in Matthew chapter 9, It happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus looked out at the multitude. And he, in, in my faith in God, sees the compassion of God when he saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep who have no shepherd. I say, Lord, that I might have your eyes. Lord, that I might have your heart. Lord, that I might have an understanding a little deeper, it goes a little deeper that understands these people are, we're not fighting with them, we're fighting for them with the gospel and prayer. So that, that day does not come upon them suddenly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for your word and I thank you again for the work that you do in us. That you are always seeking to draw us to yourself. That in you, we might have peace. In you, Lord, we might have that rest for our souls. You spoke about in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Lord, we thank you that we, we understand. Walking with you is what sets us free. It's what gives us rest. 
And so, Lord, we're going to close this, this service. Would you stand before the Lord with me just in prayer? Because we've, we're, we're we've run out of time, so I just want to take this moment and not miss it. Just to raise, if it, if it helps, your hand. And in just an honest brokenness before the Lord. Lord, forgive me of my attitudes. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. One that sees like you see. One that cares like you care. One that loves like you love. Because like Paul said, the love of Christ constrains us. And we need your eyes. We need your heart. We need your, your, your power, Lord, to live out what we say we believe. And you said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach to live. Teach what you've commanded us. Make disciples. And Lord, we acknowledge I acknowledge for us the beginning of discipleship is not after we're saved. It's in being saved. Lord, for me, and I'm sure for most of us, if not all of us this morning, there are people that are in our little spheres of influence that need the gospel. So, Lord, we raise our hands to you and say, here am I, send me. And as you've washed and cleansed us, Lord, as you've given us an unction, as you've given us the Holy Spirit. So we want to be obedient in the Great Commission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost, scattered, weary world. That's our prayer to you, Lord. We pray you'd hear it. We pray, Lord, you'd bless, Lord, our desire to be who you've called us to be so that you can do what you've called us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. God bless you.